We've been in a series called uh, Deep Change, and uh, we've been looking at places we get stuck in our lives and how God wants to continually transform us into the people that he created us to be. And uh, sometimes, you know, we just get things in our life that we just can't seem to get past. And sometimes it's, it's more than just cosmetic changes that need to happen. There is deep change that needs to take place. And we've been talking about that now for the last few weeks, and we've been looking uh, at the story of God's people when they were held captive in Egypt, and God brought them out and took them to the promised land. And we've been looking at the principles of the change that God took them through as kind of a backdrop for us in the work that God does in our lives. And uh, last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about God uh, speaking to Moses. And uh, now the people are in bondage, and now God's about ready to do something really cool. And God calls Moses. Moses is up on the mountain. He hears the burning bush talking to him. And the burning bush says, I want you to go back to Egypt where you're a wanted man. And uh, I want you to tell the most powerful king in the world to let my people go. And uh, Moses, you know, responds by saying, well, who am I, <laughs> you know, who am I that I'm going to do this? And God says, well, Moses, actually, you're nobody, you know, um, but if you go, I will go with you and I will stretch forth my hand and Pharaoh will let him go. Now, I just want you to kind of catch the backdrop of that because when, you know, when Moses heard those words, again, you know that he was filled with fear. You know that he was filled with uh, and, uh, and apprehension, but he, in faith, went back. And so from there, everything goes great, huh? Well, no. <laughs> Let's talk about that today. If you want to take your sermon outline out, you can track along with me. We're going to be looking at uh, Exodus chapter 5. Uh, Moses has gone back. He's talked to the elders of Israel, and uh, now he's gone in to, to Pharaoh, and he's told them to, to let his people go and told him what God had told him to say. And uh, look at what happens. Look at the response that happens to Moses introducing this idea of change to Pharaoh and the Israelites. Here we go. Uh, picking up, beginning at verse 6, it says, In the same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and Israelite foremen. Do not supply any, any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. In other words, we're going to take your workload and we're going to take it up a notch. But still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. How many of you ever worked for a boss like that? You know, he kind of came at you like that before. <coughs> he said, don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. And, of course, the reaction to that is just one of great despair. And as they complained to Moses, it says, And then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal 
to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. I remember a couple years ago when I was um, writing my daily devotionals and I was writing through the book of Exodus, I remember reading this story and I actually wrote a devotional. I think I, the title I gave to it was The Road to Better Goes Through a Place Called Worse. <laughs> and that's the idea that I want you to take hold of today. Because often when, when we respond in obedience to God's call to change, whether it's to take a step in our own uh, discipleship and become more of the men and women of God that we're called to be, or whether it's taking a step of faith and saying, I really want to change my marriage into the kind of marriage that it can be, or, or, or whether it's a, a habit or an addiction in our life that we're trying to break and we're saying, you know what, Lord, I, I want you to take me through this change and help me overcome. One of the things that we discover is you know, there's a, a great feeling that happens when we're obedient to God and we take that step of faith, much like Moses going back to Egypt. It's like, I'm doing what God called me to do and th there's, a, there's a feeling that's really good. But sometimes what we discover is that that first step or two or three of change can often be met with all kinds of resistance. And sometimes what I've discovered is we're not prepared for that. My guess is for some of us who maybe at the beginning of the new year was saying, Lord, I want you to do a new work in me. I want you to do something new, something vibrant, something exciting. I see some areas of change. I really want you to take me through. You got excited about that because you felt like you were being obedient to God. And I'm going to guess that for some of you along the way, as you have started initiating and taking some of those steps toward change, Things haven't quite gone the way you expected them to go. And it's really easy to allow that resistance to push you back into a corner and cause you to quit. Now, here's what I want you to know. I've talked about this before. I'm not going to camp on this long. But what you need to know is that just as there is a God calling you to a higher and more righteous way of living, there is also an enemy. And that enemy, Jesus says, has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And the moment, I promise you, the moment you take a step of obedience with God, he is going to come at you with everything he's got. And he's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to discourage you. He's going to try to steal this change out of your life. And the enemy is going to try everything in his power to make you quit. Look at me. Don't you dare do it. The God who began this good work in you is able to bring it to completion. Amen. Now, I want to I I talk about that a little bit today, and I want to I maybe walk through some things that may be happening to you, kind of like they were happening to the Israelites, that, that to just let you know you're not alone on this journey, and some of this resistance that you're feeling and this wind drag that you're experiencing, it's common to all of us. And you say, well, Steve, why, you know, what, 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 what is this all about? Why, why does it get worse? Well, it feels worse for 
a lot of reasons. Let me give you a few. You ready? Let me walk with me through this. Here's the first one. You have to be prepared for this. And this is not um, natural or comfortable for us in our culture. You have to be prepared for the fact that change takes time. Change takes time. Um, you know, any of us who have ever, again, tried to, to lose weight, um, you know, understand this. You know, it's like, I'm going to lose weight this year. And, you know, so you stop eating everything that tasted good, you know, and, uh, and, and you, you, you lose a few pounds in that first week or so. Maybe, you know, you get on the scales and you're down a pound or two and you're going, yes, yes. You know, I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in no time at all. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just going to. And, and you, you know, you have this thing going on. And, and yet then all of a sudden you hit this plateau and you stop losing. And you get discouraged. And you go, man, why am I, why am I not eating anything good if I'm not going to lose any more weight? And, it's real, and, and, and you forget that, look at me, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, you can make, you can make some, some changes in an instant, but deep change takes time. Does this make sense to you? In other words, you know, when, when you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, here's the beautiful thing. When you make the decision to become a Christ follower, the moment you confess your sins to God, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the moment you ad admit where you are at and your need for God, in that moment, in that instant, your sins are forgiven, your past is put behind you, and you become a brand new creation. Amen? But, Look at me. The work's not done. That's just the first step. What you discover is it's one thing to be forgiven and step into a new identity in Christ. It's a different thing altogether to become a man or woman of God. And if you understand that, you, all you got to do is follow, the, follow the, the walk of the disciples and you discover that, that change just takes time. I love what he says in Ecclesiastes 7, 8. He says, you know what? Finishing is better than starting. Amen? Finishing is better than starting, and patience is better than pride. Well, Steve, why does it take so much time? Well, a few reasons. I'll just give you a few that I thought of quickly. Here's the first one. Sometimes change takes a lot more time than we think because we don't realize what a mess we are. Can I get an Amen. We just don't really realize what a mess we are. So, you know, and I want you to, again, this has been great group therapy on this, on this trip. I want you to help somebody out. Just turn to them and say, you're really a mess. Just, just, just let them know. You're really a mess. Yeah. Some of that, yeah, that felt really good, didn't you? You've been waiting to say that all week long. Yeah. You're really a mess. Yeah. And, and, we, <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny because some of us, when we think about change, some of us look in the mirror and we're, we're so self-deceiving, all we think, you know, I just need a couple of tweaks in my life. No, actually, my friend, you need a hammer and a chisel and a real strong arm. I'm going at you, you know. Because deep change, deep change is something that takes, it just takes time because honestly, when we really take a good look at ourselves, we discover we're a lot more broken than we know. And there are things that really do need to be fixed deep inside of us. Sometimes change just takes longer than we think because quite frankly, we're impatient people. 
We're just impatient people. And some of that's been bred into us culturally. How many of you, and I think this is only going to be a handful of us, I know, but how many of you can remember before microwaves? Okay, this audience, maybe a few more than the next audience. But some of you can remember that. You remember when you had to cook everything, had to, you had to take time? And you know what? And you didn't think anything about it. You, how many of you remember when the internet first came up and you had dial-up? You remember that? And you were happy. I mean, you, you know, you would dial up and you'd wait and you'd wait. You know, you'd go cook a meal, run a few errands, come back, and you'd finally be on the internet. You know, it's just kind of the way it worked. And now, now, man, if you don't turn it on, if it doesn't come on immediately, you're going, what's going on? You know, and you're punching buttons and you're, you know, you're going, why? Because we've been, now, we've, gone, we've gone down this path where we believe that anything can happen quickly. And I'm going to look at you. You need to hear my heart. Deep change is not microwaved. It's a crock pot. <laughs> not a crack pot, <laughs> though that may fit for a few. It's a crock pot. And it takes time. And for those of us, how many, come on, how many of you would admit I'm not a patient person? Yeah. And I guarantee you, you're struggling with this. Because you, you're, you're not only not patient with the world, you're not patient with yourself. And you keep going, you know, you're like the kid in the back seat going, are we there yet? You know, and God says, no, you're not there yet. Let me give you one more. We, we, it takes more time because we have unrealistic expectations. Sometimes we just have unrealistic expectations. You know, not only do, are we not as aware of the mess that we really are and how broken we are deep inside. Some, sometimes we just, we just think we can do things faster than we really can and that we can actually implement those changes more quickly than we can. And, and we have these unrealistic expectations of ourselves. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I was here as a youth pastor back in the 80s, we used to do an annual ski trip um, up to Winter Park, Colorado. And we'd always take a big group, like 30, 40 people, and uh, we'd go up there and ski for four days. And, and uh, I never thought I'd ever find anything that I enjoyed doing as much as playing basketball. But I loved, loved, loved snow skiing. It was just so much fun. I had a, a friend who moved to Oklahoma City uh, while I was a youth pastor. And his name was Jamie. Now, some of you remember Jamie McNeely. Uh, Jamie was just, uh, he was quite a character. But one of his fatal flaws was that Jamie always thought he was a little better at things than he really was. You've probably been around people like that. He's a great guy, but just always had just a, a little higher view of himself than what was realistic. And I'll never forget, it was his first year to go snow skiing. He'd never skied before. And um, we, uh, we got to the place where we rented our equipment in, in Denver. And I was standing next to him in the line. And when they come out to give you your equipment, they ask you, are you a beginner, an intermediate, or an advanced skier? And uh, because what they want to do, the, the better you are, uh, the longer skis they'll give you. Because longer skis are faster and so forth and so on. And, um, and so the, the, when you're a beginner, you give shorter skis because they're easier to manipulate. You get that. So we're standing in line. And uh, when they get to us, uh, they, the guy asked Jamie, he said, are you a uh, beginner, advanced, uh, uh, or uh, intermediate? And Jamie said, I'm an intermediate. And so the guy had turned away. He knew how tall he was, so he turned away to get a ski. And I looked at him. I said, you've never skied before. 
He goes, yeah, but I've been watching videos. <laughs> and I'm like, there's a difference between watching a video and being on the mountain. And uh, so he, he was getting, and he, he didn't want just the normal equipment. He wanted to pay the upcharge to get the fancier equipment, which he didn't understand if not only fancier, it also is harder to manipulate. It's, it's different. And so he gets this equipment. He gets this stuff. We go to the mountain. And he, the very first morning, he has lessons. And uh, I happen to be skiing by him right after they had finished his lessons. And he, he, he yells at me. And I come over to him. I said, how you doing? He goes, I'm sick of these bunny slopes. He said, take me to something harder. And I said, dude, you've only been on the mountain for like an hour or so. You, you don't really want He goes, no, I, I, want to, I want to take me to some intermediate slopes. So because I have a gift of mercy, <laughs> I said, sure. So I take him over to these intermediate slopes. Now, for those of you, how many of you have snow skied? Okay, some of you will get this. If you haven't snow skied, the, the harder slopes are steeper, and they have bigger bumps, and they're just harder to navigate. And, uh, you know, bunny slopes, you can, you know, you can just kind of cruise down. It's like what you would take your sled down, you know, it's okay. But these, these inter- so we get over on these intermediate slopes and it was so funny because he looked down and I saw his eyes get about this wide. And that's when I knew he was in trouble. And he started down and I mean, he went about 15 feet. He started picking up ski- speed and all of a sudden he just dives into the snow. And he did that over and over and over and over again. And we're doing this, and finally, it's so late in the day, ski patrol comes by and says, gentlemen, we're closing the mountain. And I said, sir, I'm doing my best to get this guy off the hill. (laughs) Halfway down to the bottom, he takes his skis off and he carries them the rest of the way. Now, what happened? He had higher expectations of himself than he had a right to have. Are you, are you understanding this? And, and if you frame that in your mind, he was so frustrated. He would, have been, he would have had a great day if he would have just said, I'm a beginner skier, I need to get my leg. And if he would have just stayed on beginner slopes, he would have had a wonderful first experience. But instead, he goes to bed having nightmares that night of falling, you know, because he had unrealistic expectations. Now look at me. I just want you to hear my heart. I have no idea what kind of change you're trying to make in my life. I have no idea what God's doing in you. This is what I do know. Deep change takes time. Amen? Amen. You bet. Let me give you a second thought. If you're really going to commit to deep change, you also have to commit to the learning curve of change. You're going to have to commit to the learning curve of change. There is a lot that you really don't know that you will need to learn. And again, I've discovered that this is really difficult. I love Proverbs 18, 15. Would you read it out loud with me? It says, intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Now, let me throw another word in there. You also have to be humble to be able to receive that. Now, what I want to tell you is just because you have committed and said yes to the change that needs to happen in your life, it doesn't mean you know actually how to do that. 
And I've discovered a lot of times with people when, they're, when we're working together on, on, on a place they need to go in their life, that this idea of maybe unlearning some old ways and learning some new ways, it's just really challenging for people. Uh, it's so funny. I can't tell you how many times through the years I've either sat with an individual in my office or a couple in my office, and as we've identified some things that need to happen, I'll say, I'll, I'll pull a book off my shelf and I'll say, I need you guys to read this book or I need you to read this book. And after you've read it, come back in and I want to talk to you about some of the things you can learn that are going to help you with this situation. And can I tell you how many people come back having read it? Few. Few. You see, there's some naive belief that I know everything that there is to know about doing whatever it is I need to do. And I'm going to look at you and tell you, I love you, but you're wrong. You don't. And, and was Pastor Steve, what do I need to learn? Glad you asked. Let me give you a couple on your outline. Already put them there. You need to commit to learning about yourself. You got to commit to learning about yourself. Now look at me. Please hear my heart. I'm going to tell you that for most of us, the biggest thing keeping us from change is what we don't know about ourselves. I'm going to say that again. For most of us, what's keeping us from deep change is what we don't know about ourselves. Because there's these things inside of us that are just, they're just the way they are. And we don't, maybe even don't know where they come from. We don't know why that is that way. But until you learn, this kind of goes back to the first message I did in the series. If you don't understand how you got to where you are, you're not going to be able to move on to where you need to be. And you have to commit to be open to learning about yourself. And I, I'm telling you, that's not only challenging, it's uncomfortable. Secondly, you need to commit to learning about the change you need to make. And, and again, this is whatever, whatever change you're needing to happen in your life, you need to explore what does that really look like. For instance, if, if some of you are really feeling a challenge, you've been maybe very mediocre in, in your walk with God. Maybe you feel like you really haven't grown like you need to grow. Instead of just saying, having a prayer and saying, Lord, help me to grow, I, I want to challenge you to talk to some people that you know are further down the road of faith and ask them, what are some things you've discovered in how to become a really a good man or woman of God? You know, a lot of us, you know, it's one of the things I've talked about often is that, you know, when I was growing up, you know, a lot of people told me, you need to read the Bible, you need to read the Bible, you need to study the Bible, but no one ever showed me how. And one of the reasons we have some very specific Bible reading plans out at the Welcome Center and some of these things is that uh, what I don't want you to just pick up the Bible and read it like a book from cover to cover. I, I want you to explore some of the passages and stories and things that are going to help you the most where you're at. Whatever that change is, have you ever, have you taken a little bit of time just to know how do you make this change and what does that change look like? Thirdly, you need to commit to learning what God's Word has to say you got to commit to learning what does God's Word have to say about this change I want to make. Because the principles of God's Word are eternal and powerful. And we need to know that. Can I give you a third one? You need to expect, as Moses and the Israelites discovered, expect that not everyone is going to be happy about your change. 
expect that not everyone is going to be happy about your change. Have any of you ever in your life uh, felt God moving you in a particular direction or doing some deep change in your life only to find that there were people in your life who weren't happy about the person that you were becoming? Talk to anyone breaking out of addiction. Because one of the things we discover when you know, when we've been around our drinking buddies and we've been around the people who have helped have keep the chains on us is that the day we decide that we're going to be different kind of people, not everyone in that group is happy about our sobriety. All of a sudden you find people wanting to pull, pull you right back in. There, there is what we call a, a, a crab mentality. And that crab mentality, if you, if you understand that story, uh, they, there's a, 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 if you go on YouTube, you can actually watch it. But you put crabs in a bucket or a barrel, most of them could climb out. But they don't. You know why? Because the other crabs pull them back in. Crabs won't let crabs escape. They keep pulling them back. And some of us, that's our relationship. In fact, I saw this picture. I thought I was going to throw that up on the screen. Here's the, here's the crab trying to make the deep change. Look, I can get out. And one goes, oh, no, you're not going to, you, you're, you'll not get out. Another one says, what do you think you're doing? Another one says, come back down here with the rest of us where you belong. If we can get out, if we can't get out, no one can. If we can't be free, neither can you. Now, I, all I want to tell you is one of the things that we're sometimes just not prepared for is when we begin to start this deep change in our life, sometimes it's God challenging us to let go of some things, let go of some toxic people, to, to take some steps in some direction where, where it's not comfortable for some of the people around us. And some of you are going to discover that not everyone is going to be happy for you. And that's tough. You know, some of you have heard me tell the story. I, I mean, my family, you know, I'm, I was one of five kids. And uh, my dad had dropped out of school in 10th grade. My mother had dropped out of school in 8th grade. And there were 16 kids in my dad's family. There were nine kids in my mother's family. And growing up, I did not know a single relative who had ever gone to college. So on the day where I told my family I felt like God was calling me to ministry and I'm going to go to Gulf Coast Bible College, my mother's first reaction was, no, you're not. You're going to stay right here and get a job in the factory like your dad and your brothers. Now, again, thankfully, my parents eventually came on board because I was committed and I was going to go with or without their help. And they were grateful and thankful and blessed me and all of that. But the first reaction was the crab mentality of we're not a college going family. You think you're better than us. You think you're so high and mighty. Oh, you think you're the smart one. No, I'm just trying to follow God's call on my life. Does this make sense to you? Now, now again, I, I, I hope as you commit to deep change your life, I, I hope, I really do, I hope and pray that the people around you will be supportive and encouraging, and many of them will be. But you just need to be prepared for the fact not everybody is going to be happy. And then you're going to have to decide this. Who do I want to make happy? Them or God? 
Jesus said these words in John 12. Many people believed in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear, uh, for fear of the Jewish leaders. Uh, excuse me. They wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. Read it with me. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. That's an indicting statement. Let me give you one more. Deep change is going to test your faith in God. Deep change is going to test your faith in God. You know, it's so funny to think about Moses who the Bible describes in such lofty terms that he was more humble than any man on the earth, that he talked face to face with God like a friend to a friend. And you would think that if there was anyone who had unshakable faith, it would be Moses. But did you notice Moses' reaction when he got to Egypt and he got all of that resistance? He goes back and he said, God, what, what are you doing? You know, I did, I did what you said you wanted me to do. And man, you know, everything's going wrong and you're not lifting a finger to help me. What was going on? Moses' faith was being tested. Now, this is a pivotal moment. Because God is going to throw Moses right back in the ring. I want you to go back to him. I want you to go back to him. I want you to go back to him. And it was really important because at this pivotal moment in this change process, Moses could have said, I quit. And he could have went back to the mountains and been a shepherd for his brother-in-law Jethro the rest of his life. And in that moment, Moses' faith was being tested. Look at me. I just want you to know, as you really seek to become the man or woman of God he's calling you to be, as you're working that change in your life, I guarantee you the enemy is going to push on you and push on you and push on you, and your faith in God can be, is going to be tested. Hey, look at me, gang. It's easy to believe God when there's no pain in your life and there's no suffering in your life and there's no struggle in your life. It's easy to believe that God is for you and with you. But when the storms come and, and, and the resistance come and people are against you, can you still believe in God then? I love what James says. James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. Read it with me. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. I love this. Don't quit on God. Your breakthrough may be just around the corner. I'll tell you one quick story. I was pastoring in Pennsylvania. Wanda and I were invited to a birthday party for one of our congregational members. I think he was turning 40 or turning 50, and uh, 40, I think. And they had it at a little school in the gymnasium and, and uh, half of the gym. And they had it set up as a little surprise party. And we're in there, and we're drinking punch and eating cake and just standing around talking. And my buddy Barry, his, whose birthday it was, he had, he had two sons who were down at the end, and they were shooting baskets, and because I played basketball, I had one eye on the party and one eye on them. And The older son, Ben, who was a teenager, was a pretty good athlete. He was shooting buckets and making buckets, but the other brother, the younger son, Jonathan, was like five years old, and Jonathan was just really struggling. Now, he was a big kid for his age, but he, he would get underneath the basket, and he would try to throw it up, and he just kept hitting the underside of the rim, and he was getting frustrated, and Ben was, 
yelling at him to get out of the way. He wanted to show off. And, <laughs> and I was just talking to the guys, and I kept watching, watching what was going on. And finally, I just couldn't stand it anymore. So I walked over to where they were playing, and as I got over there, Jonathan turned around, and he was just about ready to start bawling. And he just said, Pastor Steve, I just can't do it. I said, yes, you can. I said, Jonathan, you're standing too close to the basket. I said, you need to take a couple of steps back. And I said, you need to bend your legs a little bit more, get a little bit more loft with the ball. And I said, and then just, just try to throw it up over the front of the rim. That's all you need to do. But you're, you're getting too close, and you're hitting the underside of the rim. And Ben is standing off to the side watching. And so Jonathan takes a couple of steps back and starts bending his legs like this, and he's getting ready to shoot. And then all of a sudden he stops, and he turns, and he looks at me, and he says, will I make it? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. And he got back and he started bending his legs and I started praying, oh God, please, just, <laughs> just give me one, give me one. That's all I want, just give me one. And sure enough, he bent his legs, threw that ball up, over the rim it went and right through the hoop. His brother Ben's eyes got big, and Jonathan started jumping up and down, and it was just this exciting moment. He ran over and grabbed me and hugged me, and it was, just, it was just so exciting. And as I walked back to these guys who were standing, they were shaking their heads, and one of the guys said, what if he would have missed? And I said, God wouldn't do that to me. <laughs> now, I want you to get this. Jonathan was one moment away from quitting. But everything that he wanted in that moment was just one more shot away. Look at me. I know change is hard. I know that sometimes it starts getting worse before it gets better. But I can promise you, if God has called you to this change, then our God is with you every step of the way. He's not going to quit on you. So don't you dare quit on him. Amen. I want to invite us to a time of receiving communion together. If you would, take your cup out with me. If you didn't grab one coming in, go ahead and grab that now. If you'll tear the cover off the bottom, take out your little piece of bread. For just a moment, I want you to look at these elements and, and, and hear my heart. This represents a body that was beaten and broken. This little piece of bread. This juice, it represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt for you. The way of the cross was not an easy journey. When Jesus was in the garden and he knew what was coming down, do you remember what he said? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But that wasn't the end of his prayer. But not my will, but your will be done. And it's okay. I, I know you're hurting. I know some of you are struggling. I know the change is hard. And it's really, it's okay for you to say, God, if it's possible, can you ease this pain? Can you make this any easier? It's okay for you to pray that prayer, but don't forget the rest of it. But not my will, Lord. Let your will be done. Look at me. Jesus didn't stop until it was finished. Don't you stop either. 
Rachel's going to lead us in a song while we sing this song. I want you to make this your own personal prayer time and worship time. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, today's a great day to surrender your heart to Him, to let God work in you and through you. If you've grown discouraged on this journey, this is a great day to say, Lord, would you breathe into me a fresh new breath of life? Would you, would you do something fresh? If you, if you felt the enemy getting heavy and, and you felt yourself being beaten down, it's okay to say, Lord, I need you to fill my heart with joy. I need you to give me a little bit more energy. I need you to just breathe a little more life into me today. You pushed through the suffering that you went through. Help me push through as well.